0: I could have been a contender.
1: I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. They never got home, those, those stuff, boys. Good morning and welcome
2: to Second Captain Sunday. All my David here with Murph and Ken. Hi, guys. Hello, everyone. 11,000 11, euro. That was the price that some tickets were going for for the U2 gig last night. Really? 11,000 euro. According to a lot of the coverage during the week, Murph, of the insane amount of money the people were handing over to get into Croke Park possibly be true Well, those are the reports My favourite headline had to be You two were the touts of no shame in the Irish Independent Have That's a little think bad. about yeah, that Yeah,
3: no, Murph. it's good It's good on Even this early in the morning I managed to <laughs> pierce that particular uh, pun down. So
2: everybody from politicians to the Consumer Association have been calling for legislation to clamp down on black market ticket sales But there's a far easier way to enjoy the show without having to fork over 11 grand hmm. And that is to live close enough to the stadium that you can hear every single lyric Ken Early, how's the gig?
1: Uh, Well, Owen, I'd love to be able to to review the uh, gig for you, but unfortunately my neighbours were having a barbecue. Now now usually, I I mean, it's not that's no big deal. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that.
3: <laughs> but the thing uh, was... I, a real ray of sunshine in the neighbourhood. Yeah. You, you live
1: within, we should stress, what sort of proximity to Croke Park? Close enough that you can hear when they've got a concert on. Yeah,
3: you were waxing lyrical
2: about the Coldplay gig, for example, a
1: couple of weeks ago. I thought, I thought you, you had good. been
2: there, but you told me they were great last night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, sounded, I think their music is very well adapted to, you know, sort of stadium performances, Coldplay. Anyway, sorry, U2. Yeah. Uh, the thing is that the neighbours, apparently to celebrate the U2 concert, I mean, because I've never heard them do this before, were playing U2 on their speakers, even though you could hear actual (laughs) U2 playing to 75,000 people just up the road. So I could hear with or without you booming out of Croke Park, but also... I still haven't found what I'm looking for <laughs> sort of jingle jangling from next door.
2: Hold on, that should have been quite easy for your neighbours because they were playing, you two played the Joshua Tree in sequence as far as reports go. So surely they should have just started it at the same
1: time. They were a track I ahead. Or, yeah, I yeah. don't
3: think they're going to be able to sync it <laughs> precisely <laughs> exactly. yeah, to yeah, yeah. You know, sort of album
1: length. The idea of calling the guards did occur to me briefly, <laughs> but I decided not to be petty. Instead, I just turned to um, to try to make sense of, of something which to me was... Uh, was confusing and distressing um, was to read Barry Egan's review um, in the Sunday dependent, which finishes by saying, In Croker, Bono was a mystic who cast a spell into the night and beyond. As a fellow who is casting a spell across the nation told me at the gig last night, and this is in quotes, Hearing the Joshua Tree the second time round changes your feelings about the album. We are older. So are you too. But better, said Leo Varadkar. <laughs> Quote again, this was the best gig I've been to in years. You two are getting better as a band. End quote. So, Arfina Gale <laughs> is, how that, uh, is how that review from Barry Egan ends.
2: Just to be clear, that was a Barry That's Egan line at the end and not a Leo Vradker line. So Look, Arfina you know,
1: Barry Egan had to file that piece last night at some point, you know, at least he didn't write time. We'll tell. <laughs> so, uh, yeah.
2: Not all Croke Park residents were as well disposed towards the band as yourself and your neighbour yesterday. There was a shocking picture emerging late last night of a sign hanging. I don't know how to bring this news to you. A sign hanging from the window of a, clou- of a house on Clonliffe Road saying, mm. steal yourself for this. You two are shite. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of attitude that they have to put That's up with in their home city. It's We're unbelievable. a the name. We're never good, you're still oh, home, aren't we, really? If you're there last night, we'd love to know what you made of it. 51551 is the number to text or tweet at Second Captains. Every week on Second Captain Sunday, we go deep into the sporting life of our superstar guests so that we can find out once and for all who is our greatest ever non sports person, sports person. But feeling today's contestant is ready to blow this competition wide open. Murph, remind us, please, how's our leaderboard looking?
0: I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody. somebody. I do remember, I remember this is embarrassing I do remember chasing him then and then I realized I only got one glove on I was going what's going on here and then I realized the doctor was chasing after me so I'm my trainer so what had happened was obviously I was knocked out
3: yes every uh, Sunday morning we ranked the sporting ability and knowledge of our guests and from this blur of numbers and alg- algorithms the beautiful mind of yours truly will be able to decipher who is truly the greatest non-sports person sports person of 2017 last week Pat Schwartz refusal To accept defeat in the boxing ring Even long after the fight had ended And his opponent declared the winner Helped him to an extremely creditable 87 points out of 100 Well ahead of week one guest Maeve Higgins And he looks set fair for an extended run at the top of the tree Can our guest fare any better this morning? That is the question that literally handfuls of our listeners Are uh, asking right now
2: Well this morning's challenger You'll know him for being part of one of the most successful Irish bands of all time Nicky Byrne managed 14 number ones in the UK alone In his Westlife days But before that he very nearly made it as a professional footballer and I don't mean that in the my friend once had trials for Crystal Palace sense. <laughs> Nicky actually had a professional contract and spent a good chunk of his teenage years chasing the dream and it's that little known part of his life that we're going to dig up for you this morning text 51551 tweet at Second Captains email Captains at rt.ie Nicky Brain will be with us in a couple of minutes this is Second Captain Sunday <laughs> Greets have no name there by a plucky young four-piece from the north side of Dublin called u Two. That's oh from God! A,
3: that's from the Joshua Tree album. Nice he played odd. Always uh, willing to support uh, up and coming bands. Good our, man.
2: Our guest on set and set captain Sunday this morning made his name in the music business, part of a band that sold just a fifty million or so records. <laughs> Nothing to write home about, but he hasn't always had that plan in mind. Before Westlife, he was an international goalkeeper for the Irish youth teams and spent a couple of years at one of the biggest clubs
4: in the Premier League. Nicky Byrne, welcome to Set and Captain Sunday. Thank you very much. Good to be here, lads. Was football your first love? It was, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'm 38 now, so everything that I remember back from my childhood was was football, football, football. My dad, um, who passed away in 09, he was a huge influence, especially in football. And he was a, a, a goalkeeper as well. Right. Um, so, I huge, vivid memories of our, you know, growing up in Seagrange Avenue in Baldware, out the back garden, and the shed behind us hey. being the goal. And my dad pinging balls at me and, and teaching me um, technique more than more than anything else. Just technique as in how to catch a ball or, you know, how to say, what, what when it co- you know coming through your chest to fall forward or whatever to keep it away from the goal yeah and uh yes yeah, so my my football career started as a as a child, and then I played yeah, about from six and a half seven uh for about three or four years under ten mm. and uh and then, then from ten on is when I really remember the team we were playing in we were, were really good and we were quite successful, and we won a lot of you know, uh, DDSL league and cups every year and then, you know, there was the Kennedy Cup and trials and the Irish soccer team uh, under-15s and so on from there. Having your
2: dad as a goalkeeper must have been interesting I'm sure he was very encouraging but how was that when you were playing for home farm was he in behind the goals
4: oh would you stop yeah <laughs> I mean it, it, absolutely I mean it, right back if you want me to go right back I remember he used to stand behind the goal when I was probably I, I do it myself now one of my lads at goalkeeper he plays for Shamrock Rovers on under 10 Rocco it's like and
3: the family tradition yeah, it, which,
4: yeah, and and it's funny now because nowadays people will relate to it's, it's uh, silent sidelines you know parents yeah, are not yeah, allowed yeah. Not, not encouraged to I suppose it's probably more to not get on, on the back of the referees or or the, or the coaches and the kids as well. But uh, but you can't help yourself a little bit when you're looking at your own son there and you're yeah. going, get off your line, get <laughs> off your line <laughs> uh, but I do remember my dad at that age telling me he'd stand behind the goal and he would he was a great judge of and it's very important from a goalkeeping point of view, you know, when to come off your line or something like that, when not to, let for example. And he would always shout, go, go, go. Like So I'd be standing there at 10 <laughs> and a fella would be coming through on me. And all of a sudden, if I heard the shout from my dad, that, and, and I always remember he said, when you go, you don't stop. You know, So you're going all the way and you're spreading yourself and you're flying out. And that was the the influence of my dad, definitely.
3: And you can't help yourself now doing it with your own son.
4: <laughs> yeah, I find it hard not to, if I'm honest. And uh, my dad was, well, we, we, as I got older in 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s, we might have different games um, that I conceded a goal. And even if we won, you know, uh, we'd get into the car afterwards and he had this way of kind of the first four or five minutes of being the car journey right home and he'd say to you, what happened for the second go? You? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then you're thinking, oh, you, you know, kind of cut him from the left and, you know, whipped it around or whatever. And you go, oh, yeah. And then he say, "I just thought you probably could have done better on that one," <laughs> and uh, and that was his way of telling you, "like you were rubbish there. You should have yeah, saved yeah, that yeah. one." You know, and, and and again, you know, as a parent now, and in those situations, you you know, you have to be encouraging, but at the same time, you you don't you, your inner self is eating away not to want to say it to your own lad, something like that. So you'd always get the guarantee, and say, "Listen, I thought you were great today. You know, you played really well. Win, lose, or draw doesn't matter. You, you played really well." And then you'd be sitting there and you'd say, yeah, there's just one thing. <laughs>
3: well, actually, there's things. We're going to run through them now.
4: And, and, Ro- and Rocco or Jay now, they, they would both say, he'd get into the car and he'd smile and say, there's just one thing, isn't <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So how far did the international career go underage?
4: Uh, my debut was against Switzerland in uh, Basel. We, we won 4-0 over there which was a huge result for an Irish 15s to go to Switzerland and win 4-0 the likes of Damien Duff um, Alan Mabry uh, players were all and that's why Rich, Richie Dunn and Robbie Keane were year, younger than us um, but uh, yeah so that was 4-0 but the, I remember the feeling of arriving in Switzerland in the Irish tracksuits and uh, I don't know if you remember the tracksuits but they were black and they had two green kind of stripes here and I had the crest and the opal and all that type of yeah. stuff so, and I felt like a professional footballer, and the bus journeys to the the training grounds, yeah, and just the feeling of of playing for Ireland, yeah, representing was, your country, was huge, and that that never left me, and all the things I ever did. In Westlife, I always had the tricolor on my microphone. I always had it in your monitors. Uh, even doing the Eurovision two years ago, it was more of a national pride thing for me. Um, and uh, under 18, one of the biggest moments to this day and everything I've, I've been lucky enough to do, but we played in a tournament in Portugal and we played against Portugal in, in this tournament. So they had, there was probably three or 4,000 at the game, no Irish, obviously, but we stood for the national anthem and we turned and faced the flag and i cried i was 18 I, cried. I was playing for legion United at the time but i cried at the at the thought of what my mum and dad who were at home would be thinking right now you know mm. and, and obviously for me that was only the start of what I'd hoped would go on to play 21s and senior level which obviously didn't happen in the end
2: That was the dream that was the focus at the time was to oh, be yeah. a professional footballer How did the move to Leeds happen?
4: Well playing in um, in the DDSL for home farm, and like I said we had a really good side um, and a lot of us went on trial and it was Gavin Moore who had a great uh, career in, in uh, League of Ireland afterwards and Brian Rickard Mark Benson uh, Alan Mabry Damien Lynch and we had a really good side and a lot of us went on trials to different clubs and at the time Alan Mabry I suppose everybody wanted him you know he was a cracking player um, and you know I think he was the first Republic of Ireland player international to go on trial to Rangers or certainly it was something that wasn't done at the time <laughs> um, but you yeah, know Al was a great lad and he ended up being my we'd go into Leeds together with uh, with a couple of other lads Lynchy and and uh, John Butler and Steve McPhail and stuff um, but I suppose it was my junior shirt year I remember vividly players around me that were getting trials and I wasn't and then the day before my junior cert started, um, I was up in my mum and dad's bedroom on the floor studying for English or whatever, I think it's English. And my dad ran up the stairs and he said to me, uh, Paddy Hilliard has been on the phone. Now you I knew
3: those books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, throw them out the window.
4: But Paddy Hilliard I knew because Paddy had managed that very famous uh, home farm side that went unbeaten for years. And um, uh, Gary Kelly played for them and stuff like that. And he said, Paddy wants you to, uh, to send, send you to Leeds. Uh, on a trial. Now, I I knew that that side, and I knew Gary well. And when Gary left, uh, Gary Kelly left to go to Leeds United. He gave me his boots in his last ever home firm game, and because um, I was probably thirteen, fourteen. 14 when Gary left to go, and uh, he went over there, and and I, I would, he broke into the side and everything. But when I went on trial and eventually signed for Leeds, I became Gary Kelly's boot boy,
0: <laughs> and I uh,
4: still keep in touch with him today. And Gaz is, a, is is one of the one in the million, to be honest with you. But yeah, that moment of going on trial to Leeds. Um, was was a life-changing moment and my dad smoked and i remember saying to him well, before i got on the plane i said if you if you um if you give up the cigarettes i'll get a contract and he promised me what and i went over there for two weeks pre-season training the first two weeks in july of 1994 and I went over there, and i i had the, the, the honestly the, the time time my life i had a cracking um two week training um and i came home Leeds wanted to sign us straight away. They were mad after Alan Mabry. They'd already, you know, Steve McPhail was, was pending. And they wanted to sign me as well. So they were signing three or four Irish lads together at that point. So um, we kind of agreed terms uh, with Leeds, um, which was a two-year professional contract. Um, my birthday fell on October 9th um, that year. So when I went in 95, June 95 for pre-season training, I only had three months of YTS which you training scheme which was like thirty eight quid a week before I signed pro, uh, which was on I think I was on two hundred and fifty or three hundred quid a week sterling. Um, and I got a ten grand signing on fee. Happy and days. all my mates were doing the leaving cert and I was sitting in Leeds, you know, all of a sudden being introduced to like Dolce a Gabbana clothes and, <laughs> and and money, you know. Do, do you
1: remember what happened to the 10 grand?
4: Yeah. Put it on a horse. No, no.
2: I do just, for the benefit of people who aren't particularly into football, just outline how big a club Leeds were at the time. They'd won the Premier League, was the, la- the, last, the,
4: the last iteration the last ever
2: of football the, of yeah, the yeah, First yeah, Division yeah, back in yeah. 1992. So this is only a couple of years after that. Huge club, big name players. How close did you get to actually playing for the first day.
4: Well it was interesting because like you said when I tell people now my kids that I played for Leeds United it's like telling them you played for Accrington Stanley like, because they're <laughs> not they're still a massive club but they're not in the forefront yeah. of like Sky Sports every day and yeah they just won the, the old um, First Division uh, just before I went a year I think before I went and, uh, and they were massive Like, and it was it was almost like they were, they were like maybe a Tottenham Hotspur now so yeah when, when I got there I signed in, in uh, June 95 I went over and a big going away party in the race course in Baltimore the while and say goodbye to you. I just finished fifth year. About about it was the year, if you remember, the great Tony Oboa goal against Liverpool yeah, yeah, yeah. where he chested it and volleyed it off the crossbar. Well that was that was August ninety five and then two weeks later, um Mark Beanie, who was the reserve goalkeeper for the first team, John Lucas was first choice, he had been sent off in a reserve game, which meant he was suspended. So there's no goalkeeper. So um they came to me and I was 16 and a half I, this was like two two months after leaving um, school and um, Paul Hart called me into the office and he sent me to see Howard Wilkinson who was the gaffer and he sat me down and he said um, <clears throat> we're playing Southampton tomorrow night um, or on Thursday night um, and uh, we're, you're in the squad and I was like I thought he meant like you're in the squad to carry the tea or clean the boots or yeah. put the kid out like, you know? and I was like okay and he says but I just need to to know like if you need to play How are you feeling? And I remember just absolutely panicking. But the competitive edge and the belief in yourself was like, look, the manager in the eye and said, no, I'm OK, I'm ready. <laughs> and your inner self was like, no, no, you're
5: not. Yeah, please don't get injured. <laughs> no, you're just hoping <laughs> to like, yeah, stay yeah, yeah. in the bus.
4: And yeah, go back down to John Lucas and say, listen, yeah. you, better, yeah. you better be OK. Cool <laughs> for you next. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, we, we went down to, to the Dell. We trained on the pitch uh, the before the game. But the day before we trained, did set pieces. And um, I, I roomed with a guy called Andy Cousins, who had, was probably three or four years older than me. It was my first time really being in a hotel if, if I'm honest and uh, rooming with, with Andy and Andy was kind of breaking into the first time at the time and uh, that night he we were lying in bed you know, watching the television and uh, he said to me um, fancy room service and he ordered an ice cream up in you know, the room I was like what is this this is just the big you know, time you, a man comes to the door and hands you food yeah this is
3: ridiculous <laughs> yeah
4: yeah amazing but anyway yeah next, next day and, and by the way this was pre kind of like obviously pre Twitter or anything like that but it was pre really the internet and then I remember there was a uh, C-Fax and, and Airtel were the big thing. So my mum and dad recorded on a, on a camcorder C-Fax and Airtel, <laughs> which was the news of like 16-year-old in the United First Team squad. And the Daily Star printed a picture and they said Nicky's Leeds call up. And they used a picture of the other goalkeeper from a school photo. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and it was devastating.
2: You obviously impressed the coaches there quite a lot early on. What happened over the course of the time, when did you start seeing the writing on the wall that it wasn't going to work out?
4: The writing on the wall was, was the middle of the second year. When, when you go to Lee, like I wasn't, I was in competitions, a the guy there, good goalkeeper Simon Briggs, um, who we were neck and neck. Um, then they brought in, in year two, Paul Robinson, who just retired recently, who ended up obviously playing for England and, and, and World Cups and stuff. And Robbo was six foot five <laughs> and he could throw the ball as far as I could kick the ball. And, um, but as a goalkeeper, I mean, I hate saying this, but I didn't even think he was in my league as a goalkeeper. And uh, you know, there was honestly, and I'd probably say, you know, if he's listening, he probably came. You know, he's a nice lad, but. No, I never thought, but he was huge. He was absolutely. And, and every goalkeeper that came to Ellen Road in the first team, whether it was P- Peter Schmeichel at Man United, you would stand. I would purposely stand in the, as the, the way teams would arrive to see these lads in real life, no matter who they were. And everybody that walked by me, David Seaman, um, uh, Peter Schmeichel, you know, and David James, they were monsters. Like six foot four, six foot five, six foot six. And I was standing there five, ten going. Now, there was smaller goalkeepers. And Did I you always make
1: lists of those? Did you, were you like Jorge Campos is like five foot six. Absolutely,
4: I was <laughs> going to say that. There was Andy Gorm at Rangers who's 5'10". Now, he's probably 5'10 in width as well as 5'10 in height. Mm-hmm. And I remember having that conversation with Eddie Gray and Eddie Gray said to me, somehow Andy fills the goal. Um, so
2: you were told you were, you were too small and that was it? Or do you remember what you were told? I was brought into the office yet? in
4: January 1997 after being home for Christmas and my contract would be been expiring that May or June and um, they, they basically said to me look George Graham was the manager at that point he'd taken over from Hill Wilson Paul Hart said to me look the height issue we know is a height issue and uh, you know we need to look at this because um, if let's be honest George Graham's exact words to me at the time were if I put you in against Everton for example Duncan Ferguson was the was, a, was a f- the centre forward for Everton Everton aren't going to turn around and say listen take it easy on Nicky there he's only 5'10 they're going to say Put everything on a Nicky and absolutely nail him And you know when you're jumping against somebody who's six foot six, six foot seven. You know that that that's the angle. It's all it's all about winning and it's all about money and it's all about trophies and it's so there's no like taking anybody easy on anybody. So um, that was put to me. Um, and you know they said, look, unless you know you're six foot to six foot one minimum. So yeah, I mean, and when the, when the first team are, are you know you know you're shooting practice, you knock a ball into the fella on the eighteen yard box, who puts it to the side and someone's coming in to smash it on you. And, you know, the likes of Yeboah, DeRigo, uh Pemberton, Lee Sharp, whoever they were, David Weatherall, Gary McAllister, Gary Speed, pinging shots. Like, I wasn't being beaten more than Nigel Martin was being beaten. And the
2: frustrating part is there's not much you can do about your height. No. It's one thing there's nothing you can do about. So when you're told that you you come home, you leave Leeds United, you arrive back in Dublin, I don't want to be too harsh on you, but did you feel like a failure? Completely. You did?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, I was... Um, you, you go away, you win the prize of getting a contract. You win you'd the big going away party, and the, we had the yellow, the yellow and blue and, and white balloons that represented Legionite and all that type of stuff. You're earning, you're earning good money. Your mates are all going, oh, you know, this is amazing, and I can't wait for you to play and make it. And you know, and, and you, we'll all go over, and then your aunties are slagging you. Go, oh, when you make your first million, don't forget me. All <laughs> of that stuff. And within two years, you're back home on a scrap heap. Um, I went on trial to Scarborough. Before I left, and I went, I played a reserve game for Cambridge, or a reserve game for Scarborough, and went to trial to Cambridge, and they were both fourth division clubs, so the equivalent of the the, the low, the bottom tier of English football, and um, I had to get the train down from Leeds. I was obviously what was a tra- eighteen, eighteen and a half, train down from Leeds, connecting in a station I've never been in. Now you go from being, you know, the first team squad and and you know being reserve or that close to making your Premiership debut. Um, to get in the train and having to connect and look at train times to go to Scarborough at the previous reserve game. We, got, we lost the game 4 0. And I came out of the stadium in Scarborough, nice little stadium actually, I think it was new at the time. But I came out of the sta- and it was probably half 10 at night. And I had to get back to Leeds, which is probably a three hour drive or two and a half hour drive. And I'd never looked into train times. I'd never looked in. So I came out, There was no, everyone was gone. And I was like, well, what the hell do I do now? There was nobody around. I went into a shop and I said, hey, you know, where's the taxi rank? And they were like, mm, no taxi rank near here, pal. You're going to have to do whatever. And I remember walking down the road going, I'm going to get back to, me, to Leeds. And I had to, get a, I had to get a taxi. So thankfully I probably had 100 quid or whatever it was to, to get me the equivalent, probably Dublin to Sligo, you know, to get home. I'm walking into, into my digs at three in the morning and uh, whatever it was and getting some sleep and getting back up to go training. And I, I remember ringing my dad and saying, I just, I just want to go home. Like, what's, what's the point? I'd be better off playing in the League of Ireland and hopefully playing at the top level in the League of Ireland if if I could do that and getting a job and and I always had an interest in the guards even though football was was my life I always had an interest in that but I needed my leaving cert so I promised my mum so I came home and uh, I went to to Plugger College in Whitehall got the leaving cert and then applied for the guards did the guard exam and they wrote back to me uh, saying that I got that and uh, Westlife had started so we never took them up <laughs> and you in the were, meantime You are
3: happy with that decision the, the Guards well, versus Westlife uh, I could have
4: been out on the road doing this <laughs> show, so I did the stadium after Ireland matches kind of directing traffic but I still have a firm and I have loads of friends in the Guards and still have a, 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 a kind of huge affiliation Well
2: you me. look back Nicky at that period there you came back you started doing gigs with your dad you got a karaoke machine with a, a bit of the, the cash With we, earning
4: had. what I earned for the two years and the money I would have had it probably I think it about 13, 14 grand coming home I wanted to buy um, one of those uh, a Suzuki Vitara I got quickly <laughs> talked out with that because somebody said no nah, no nah, you don't want one of them um, what I did was I bought a karaoke machine so I'd, uh, my dad had been in entertainment he'd been a lead singer for years so I asked him would he, would he come out you know singing with me and doing karaoke while he wasn't gigging with his, with his own proper band and uh, so that's where I bought the karaoke and the discs and the machines and uh, we went around doing college socials and we got a, a residency in Gibneys in Malahide and um, I think Break for the Border a couple of nights where I was would sing a few songs. He would sing a few songs. Then he called singers up, and uh, I suppose that grew that grew my confidence really. And when you look
2: back now, and your dad having passed away, have you got a, a lot of fondness for that time in between football and West life?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, dad was 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 amazing in every c- circumstance. You know, he um, I, even now I wish I could be more like him. And every you know, as a dad, as a as a person, you know, he patience of a saint. Um, but I do know he, he was he was devastated for me. Uh, football was probably for him too you know I think every dad wants their, their kids you know, all their kids to be as successful as they can be and I think it's a huge Um, you probably any player that comes back uh, from Ireland um, or uh, that doesn't make it that you know feels it's, a, it's huge pressure on you you know you mm. do feel like a failure you do feel like how am I going to get my, my life turned around and, and all of that type of stuff Um, and probably for me he was worried about me and he probably would have rathered that I stayed in England and played for Cambridge or Scarborough and, and gave it another shot I even in my young years p- looked at a lot of other players, and I thought nobody ever gets back up, and, not, and that's not true. People do, and people play in League of Ireland and go to England late, and um, nowadays, more probably more than then. But I just couldn't see a hero or a template to go, Oh, well, there's you know a goalkeeper that you know spent his youth at, at, at a top premiership club, dropped to the fourth division, and um, did a season or two or three, and then made it back up and, and, and all of that so uh, I, I felt going home was probably the right decision now it worked out for me in many ways because my career went off in a different path and, and, and that was completely different but certainly those years were, were were scary and I remember Gary Kelly phoning my house one day when I was home and this is the the the, the person guys is and on the phone to me going you know, do you need anything do you need gloves do you need boots do you need money and I was like, no, oh, no, guys, I appreciate that, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think if that ever happens, I think you need, to, you know, you need space and you need time and you need people around you. But something needs to be done to to monitor and help the players that go because, you know, it, it England trawls the waters for the for the players, and it's in our benefit to make sure they make it or, or certain because if they don't, they come back and become good players here. And um, sometimes they just let become nothing.
2: I'm sure your dad was proud of what you ended up doing in Westlife, given he was, that he gave you the passion yeah, because for music too. He yeah.
4: sang, he was in a band all his life, and he was a resident singer for three, four nights a week, every all my life. So, you know, for to, for him to watch me on stage with Westlife and in Croke Park and all that <laughs> type of stuff, he saw all that, thankfully. So yeah, I think he was I think he was happy.
2: Well listen, Nikki, there have been one or two guests on the show in the course of all the episodes we've done. His sporting achievements are a bit flimsy at best, to be perfectly honest. Not so in your case, I have a feeling you're going straight to number one after the break when we rank this sporting life. Of Nicky Byrne.
3: RTE Radio One.
0: I was fighting a guy who had just come back from fighting in Wales for Ireland. So I came out in the ring. We were always taught to take over the ring, dominate the centre of the ring. They've got to work all the way around you, you know, so you wear them out. Good thinking. So I kept flaking out. I don't think you man expected it. I hit him a good few flakes and knocked him to the ground I thought this is it yeah I'm in there yeah loving this (laughs) they check him and he gets up and it was almost as if the light went on in his head I don't remember much after that I do remember remember, (laughs) this is embarrassing I do remember chasing him then and going after him and he was legging it away from me I'm thinking I have him now And then I realized, I only got one glove on. I was going, what's going on here? And then I realized the doctor was chasing after me. So I'm my trainer. So what had happened was, obviously, I was knocked out, but still standing up. And they were taking the glove off, and the towel was thrown in. And I (laughs) came to again for a second. I thought, I'm going to go after him now. (laughs)
2: You're listening to Second Captain Sunday this morning with Owen, Ken and Murphy. guys. Hello there, all. You can text us on 51551. You won't be surprised to learn that Pat Short hung up the gloves after that fateful <laughs> bout that he told us about last week's show. Amazing story from Pat, but that backing track from Rocky is even better. It's obviously the training montage music from Rocky four by Don't need to tell Vince DiCola. Yeah. Vince didn't give the name of the track much thought, simply entitled to Training Montage.
3: Well, listen, he let the music speak for
1: himself.
2: I like that. Ken, quick question for you. What do Julio Iglesias, Iron Maidens, Steve Harris and Rod
1: Stewart have in common? I don't know. Like
2: our guest Nicky Byrne here, Ken, they all very nearly made it in professional football. Rod Stewart was a trainee at Brentford. Steve Harris was at West Ham for a spell. And Julio Iglesias played with Real Madrid Youths, mm-hmm. apparently. Actually, believe it or not, Ken, Dickie Rock had trials at Man United at the same time as John Giles.
1: That's not true, though. No, that's not true.
2: <laughs> Dickie's a couple of years older. Couldn't possibly have happened. Nicky, you've been telling us about your own dreams of becoming a professional footballer. Before we rate your sporting career, can you pick one highlight out of that career? Or have you already mentioned it?
4: Um... God, it's hard to pick one. I mean, getting into the the, the Premiership squad at 16 and a half uh, ahead of all the lads who made it, even if it was by default because of a suspension. Um, Sitting
2: on that bus with all these massive s- superstars. Yeah, that
4: that was that was that was, mu- that was huge for me. And nowadays, by the way, if it happened today to a sixteen-year-old, you know, Irish guy that they got on the bench tomorrow for Tottenham Hotspur and he was a goalkeeper, you know, the internet and and everything, he'd he'd be able to hold on to all those. <laughs> things. And, and I don't have anything. I only have memories <laughs> in my head. Um, and I remember watching and the, the skip being packed, the bit the big kind of metal skips they packed to go in away games with the boots and the chin pads and the all that. and I remember um, the, the kit man packing my jersey which they would have to get printed up which was born thirty six and the premiership you know badges on the on the sleeves and stuff and I never got that jersey. <laughs> I never got to wear that jersey. <laughs> and I never. Even, so if, if anyone has that jersey, yeah. I'll pay for
2: it. <laughs> well, Nicky, you're finally getting your props now. You're getting the ultimate honor here because Pat Short said a number to beat last week. I'm fully expecting Nicky to blow it out of the water. Let us now rank this sporting life
0: of Nicky. You Pitt. don't understand. I could have had class. We don't have stars in this game, Mr Weaver. Or do you have them? People like me. I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody.
2: you over now to the this sporting life ringmaster our independent adjudicator for 2017 kieran murphy i see you've drafted in a
3: high-profile assistant here (laughs) uh indeed oh and so every week we pass judgment on our celebrity guests in a number of vital categories to assess their suitability to be crowned our greatest non-sports person sports person of 2017. however given your pedigree in the game Nikki, i felt like giving you a specific mark out of 100 is still a little above my pay grade so if i could just welcome now the assistant to the This Sporting Life Grand Marshal. Uh, it's the face of RT Television's football coverage, Irish International, one-time teammate of Nicky Byrne, one of the country's best analysts, and again, my assistant, Richard Richie Sadler. <laughs> Hi, Richie. Richie, thanks for your help with this. It's much
5: appreciated. More than the assistant to The Sporting Life Grand Marshal. It's quite an honour. It mm. might even replace the goal in the... Actually, I won't
3: mention <laughs> <you in. laughs> so I'll have yeah.
5: to update my yeah. LinkedIn page.
3: Nicky, I, I suppose I should start with the bad news. Uh, you've been deducted 10 points okay. before we even begin, because... Uh, Uh, Well it's because you're An actual sports person Who has actual Real life sporting achievements So in the same way That we deducted points Off actual Commonwealth Games athlete Gabby Logan last year You get screwed So I'm sorry Uh, Keeping that in mind We'll now go in depth To come up with a score Out of 100 Which we feel is fair And we'll see if you can't Overtake last week's guest Pat Short Our current leader With 87 points out of 100 So your all time Sporting highlight We've asked you for one you know you've represented your country you've been a professional athlete you've been on the bench in a Premier League game at 16 and a half but obviously your all time sporting highlight really comes from the 2014 World Soccer Raid match at Old Trafford when you latched onto a pass from Edgar <laughs> Davids uh, lobbed a stranded Jamie Theakston for an Eric Cantonaire school at the Stretford end and it was a pretty bloody good <laughs> that yeah, yeah, was, nice was a yeah, great guy. Yeah, yeah,
4: I, I forgot about that actually to yeah. say yeah. that so <laughs> <laughs> that was probably yeah. the best That's number
3: one <laughs> so our next category is uh, overall sports knowledge my assistant Richie
5: uh, Nicky, your willingness to stay up to date with current football trends even stretch so far as to play a couple of games in the AOL last year at Baldoyle Grange United That's right um, I take my job as football analyst here in RTU very seriously I don't like to miss any of the big games so I was actually there to see how you did uh, work, Richie. Like many people Around this table Your mind wanted to go places Your body no longer can But <laughs> I was still
3: impressed <laughs> So your assessment Of the abilities Of younger Nicky Now please Richie
5: Oh well I would have Faced Nicky In a fairly white hot Battle of an under 14 DDSL match I was playing for Leicester Celtic Nicky was in goal For home farm Probably back in 93 or 94 I was playing up front Got nowhere near him I'll have to say he had, a, he, had a, he had a defensive lineup of superstars in front of him so he uh, he gets a full goalkeeping endorsement from me mainly because he looked the part though I never got to test him
3: So thank you to my wonderful assistant for your input thank you Richard uh, I've got 100 out of 100 for sporting ability a hefty 95 out of 100 for sports knowledge for a 97.5 point average minus your 10 points for being an actual sports person so that comes to 87.5 which has you ahead of Pat Short and in the lead by one half of a yes! Oh, oh. so, Nicky Byrne, this well, has been Your Sporting lot Got to be happy with that, despite the
2: rather disgraceful deduction of 10 points. not all, digging that, Merp. Don't
3: come at me and my assistant, all
5: right? That's, Honestly, just, that's just how we roll. You guys
2: did actually play against each other.
5: We did. Yeah. Um, we also played with each other. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that my first call-up to the Irish underage squad would have been in, towards the end of 96, it was an under-18 fixture in Talca Park. I can't remember the result of the game or even the opposition, but what I remember... I don't know if you do. Me
4: putting gel in my hair in the dressing room. Well, that, would, that, would have, that would have happened
5: quite a lot. But there was we stayed in the lodgings in UCD at the time and there's probably three or four lads per like, little apartment or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And one of the lads in the room I was in got his hands on a Ouija board. And so there was a bit of commotion. Okay, I, I'd never seen or heard of this kind of stuff before. So whatever happened, happened. But the letters B and A emerged from this little session on the Ouija board which then someone decided oh well that's obviously British Airways who's flying back to England and oh, British Airways because we were all more or less based in the UK so there's a load of lads who were quite superstitious spent the build-up to the game absolutely cacking themselves the day-to-day to live because their BA
4: flight was about to be down <laughs> again good football dressing room <laughs> crack yeah, yeah. I'm right. trying to remember I remember staying in the UCD I remember um can you remember who was it against if it's the game I remember, I played in a game around that time against Finland at Daly Mount, and we lost 1-0. Richie, what was the
2: reaction in Irish football when you guys heard that one of your contemporaries was joining a boy band?
5: I remember at the time, you got to understand, people in the world of football are quite dismissive of anything that's outside that world. And even when I finished playing, everyone said, well you need to do something to stay in the game so become a coach do something um, and I remember at the time speaking to a couple of people who were quite dismissive of it almost kind of mocking going away if you go from the football world to like the music world or the world of showbiz and all that kind of stuff um, did you ever encounter that?
4: Um, no I suppose I did a little bit but I remember meeting Robbie Keane in the pod after Westlip mm. had just started I and mean, we hadn't made it or anything we were just together and, and the, the Irish lads it was the first team over so it was the, like of, the likes of Robbie and Richie Dunn and uh, Shay Given, all the lads I would have known through Irish setups over mm. the years and they all had come, obviously on the night out, and they'd all had like, come down to the, the, I think it might have been our West Side's official launch or something. And I remember meeting them upstairs and chatting to Robbie, and Robbie goes, oh, geez, this because Robbie now, now I know, Robbie, see, Robbie fancies himself as a singer. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Robbie goes, That's going really well for you. Now, at this point, Robbie had probably just broken and, into the uh, first teams and he was yeah, scoring regularly yeah. and stuff for Coventry or whatever. And, uh, and I remember him, out of everybody, showing more interest uh, but the lads I knew probably better the likes of Alan Mary and Damien Lynch were you know on the phone to me from Leeds going what the hell are you doing now
2: mm. do you know what I
4: mean but uh, yeah was, I suppose it was interesting it worked out
2: it doesn't work out for everybody obviously Richard do you think there's enough done for people in the situation that Nicky
5: found himself in being released from a club no it's the, the even now 20 years on <laughs> no i mean there's loads more can be done um when you you you're talking about dealing with teenagers who are you know still children who have um have to accept that that, that the path that they've always set out for themselves is no longer going to happen for them um that there's very little out there in terms of structured support. You're kind of relying on your family, which sometimes they, as, as Nicky said, they can be as disappointed as you are. You mightn't be in touch with your managers anymore. You might fancy playing in the league in this country if you're coming back from the UK. Um, emotionally, it's a really, really difficult time for lads.
2: Were you told anything to ease the blow when you were being mm-hmm. released? Was there anything about, oh, we'll get you? Know, you mentioned the other clubs that you tried out for. Was there anything that helps? No. Nothing, and, nothing Not from on. anybody what, what are they, So you were just You were kind of finished I,
4: I had one conversation mm-hmm. Which wasn't even with Paul Hart who was my manager in Leeds It was with Eddie Gray He was obviously Eddie was probably a bit nicer He just Before I left You know to fly home Pretty much that week Of the end of the season And he said to me What are you going to do And I was like I don't know I am not gone home <laughs> I, thought, I actually didn't know I had no club lined up I didn't know anybody In League of Ireland And it, the national league that they're bringing in now at a younger level, I think, is probably a good thing because people will be at clubs that they can stay with, let's say, if they're good enough. But at 16, 17, most schoolboy clubs disintegrate at that point because mm-hmm. players are moving to England. If they're good enough, players are going to play for League of Ireland, they go to college, they you know, so the, 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 there's nothing really after under 17. So the, the, what you just said there about, you know, your old team that you knew two years before that are gone.
2: Last very quick one, Nicky. If you had your time back, would you. In fact, would you say now that you would have preferred to be a superstar in music or football? Football, really? Obviously,
4: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is. I mean, I, I have loads of friends in football that that have gone on to do it all. Play, you know, play um, for their country, playing World Cups. That was the ultimate for me. That was, and as you said earlier, a few minutes ago, there, Richie. Everything you know from the age of two mm. or four or whatever the age you start remembering things was football. Football, football, football. Like, you know, I could tell you, you know, every World Cup from 1986, well, barred the last 10 or 15 years, because you kind of lose the interest, you grow up a little bit, but um, everything was football. You know, Manchester United, going to the games. I remember going in 86 to see Liverpool and United, Old Trafford, United 1-1-0. And that, that, to me, I was always like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I got so close, and then it just ripped away from me. So, yeah, I've been very lucky, very, very lucky. But if I could do it all again... Absolutely.
2: Well, Nikki, it's been fantastic having you share all those memories today. You can hear Nikki all week on The Nikki Byrne Show with Jenny Green, 10 a.m. on Forty Two 2 FM. Nikki Byrne, thank you so Cheers. much.
4: Well,
2: There you go, that was 10-story love song from the Stone Rose's second coming album. This is Second Captain Sunday. Murph, I've got a bone to pick with you. Your scoring system is getting more and more outrageous. (laughs) You're close to bringing this entire concept into disrepute,
3: right? Well, how much repute is it currently being held in on? That's the question I'd ask.
2: You shafted Gabby Logan last year, if you remember that, Ken, for being an actual sports person. Thankfully, she clung on to the Mm. number one spot regardless. And you've done the same to Nikki Byrne. I'm glad I didn't tell you in advance that we were in touch with Alan Mabry this week who Nicky mentioned a couple of times there okay. former team it is Alan told us that the coaches at Leeds thought Nicky was the best young goalkeeper they'd come across when he first arrived <sighs> over. he might have deducted another 10 points for him Yeah,
3: I mean I don't uh, know where exactly the line is on but I do feel that there has to be some sort of waiting put in place to ensure that people who are you know really really good at sport <laughs> as opposed to you know regular punters who happen to like sport listen on I don't you know, stop coming at me with this. The image
2: of Nicky standing on the sideline at Ellen Road, watching these gigantic goalkeepers arrive from the other Premier League clubs was pretty striking. Peter Schmeichel, David James, these sort of characters. It shows, I think it shows how well he did to make a go of it, considering he's got to be half a foot smaller than these fellas. And what do you do when you're brought in and you're told by the coaches, you're too small? Thanks, Al. There's some work-ons there for me. I'll see what I can do. I'll come back. Wait, I'll come back six inches taller for next season.
1: There's nothing you can do, and I, I also think that it's used a lot as a kind of um, because it's an unanswerable argument. Um, it's used a lot to if if somebody just doesn't like you, if it's just I don't really fancy this guy, then it's like, well, you're actually too small. I'm sorry, that's. Uh, that's the problem because it's. What can you say? No, I'm. I'm. I'm not that small. It's. Uh, it's a hard one to come back from. Uh,
2: Texan here always surprised. Nicky didn't play at a top level league of Ireland club. He's a lot like former Shamrock Rovers keeper Barry Murphy. You played a lot of games for a number of clubs. I played against Nicky for a couple of times, and he was a fine player. He did come back to the League of Ireland briefly. He was with Shelburne and went on loan to Cove Ramblers, but. I don't know if his heart was in it. And in fairness, other things did start coming into his life. At that yeah, stage.
3: I mean, I, I think uh, if football is your only chance or, you know, it's your only hope, you have an idea in your head that that's the only thing you can do for the rest of your life, then, you know, you throw yourself back into it. But as, you know, he was just telling us there, I think <laughs> the idea that he was pretty good at singing and could probably make yeah. a career in, in music, that pretty quickly changed his mind on priorities.
2: I really love the fact that his dad's traits are now coming out in him when he's driving his kid. Home from football. <laughs> There's just one thing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> nice stuff. Another one in here from Donal who says, Lads, you're forgetting the best non sports person sports person in history is Charlie Haughey for winning the Tour de France 30 years ago. What a <laughs> great achievement by Charles Haughey, all right. Uh, Text in from the chat we were having earlier on about the gig, Ken. Another Croke Park resident has got in touch to say, great tunes last night. Shame all 82,000 people decided to pee outside my front door afterwards. Hashtag smelly morning.
1: There's (laughs) probably (laughs) only a few hundred at most.
2: I feel that we need to have... Sorry, sorry, Ciarán.
1: No, I mean, I I was once upon
3: a time a Croke Park resident. Mm -hmm. I think actually the last time you two played, my aunt came over and just sat on my front step for three or four hours. I mean, I invited her in eventually. But yeah. (laughs) yeah. I mean, I I don't think Ken's alone in saying, right, well, there are upsides and downsides to being a Crow Park resident. The upside is I get to attend all these conferences, these concerts without, you know.
2: Paying 11,000 euro. Yeah. I feel we need to have a chat about the spectacular debut of the new White House communications director, Anthony Scaramucci. Is that okay with you guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, please. If you want to ingratiate yourself with your new boss, it's not a bad idea to go in front of the world's media and tell them time and time again how much you love him. And while you're at it, why not make him sound like a world class sportsman? A sort of cross between Michael Jordan and Tom Brady. Here's what I tell you about the president he's the most competitive person I've ever met. Okay, I've seen this guy throw a dead spiral through a tire. I've seen him at Madison Square Garden with the top coat on, he's standing in the key and he's hitting foul shots and swishing them, okay? He sinks three-foot punts. I don't see this guy as a guy that's ever under siege. This is a very, very competitive person. Uh, obviously there's a lot of incoming that comes into the White House, but the president's a winner, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to do a lot of winning. I love, that, I love that Scaramucci couldn't quite bring himself to go any further than three foot putts. Three foot, yeah. He could have said he can sing 20 foot putts, but maybe he wanted to keep this somehow connected to reality. It was starting to sound a bit like the description of Kim Jong-il's round of golf from 1994. don't know if you guys remember this particular story. Apparently the then North Korean leader carded a scarcely believable score of 38 under par. He took just 34 shots to get around Pyongyang Golf Course. That's to put good. that in, conce- in context, the African golfer Brandon Grace yesterday became the first man ever to finish a round in a major in only 62 shots. So Kim Jong-il went 28 shots better than the best score in major history according to reports at the time. His epic round of golf featured no fewer than five holes in one mm. and was witnessed by 17 armed bodyguards. The club professional at Pyongyang Golf Club, Park Young-man, remarked at the time, he is an excellent golfer. <laughs> and it is pretty hard to argue with that.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 admirable restraint there from the Pyongyang uh, club pro. I would mm. say excellent. I mean, I mean, I think you're you're not exactly gilding the lily there. You're doing uh, your dear leader a great disservice.
2: Speaking of dear leaders, how much would Trump have loved that from Scaramucci?
3: Mm. Ken, I, I think mean, he's got to be happy with that.
1: Well, Scaramucci uses the word love all the time. Um, he's it's obviously uh, part of his his idea. If I just repeat these positive words um, in. Whatever I'm saying, then it will leave people with a positive impression because nobody's really listening to what I'm saying anyway. Not
2: just that he loves him, but also that he that he has put out the image of Trump as
1: a youthful, vigorous sportsman. Yeah, he'll he'll say anything. He's establishing that quite early. If you want the antidote, maybe to that uh, one thing which I've seen today, which which I've been quite impressed by in Sunday papers, is the interview with Joe Brawley uh, by Barry White in the Sunday Business. Post. it's absolutely brilliant. Really? Well, it's, it's kind of, you know the way in the UK, Gary Lineker sort of emerged as this uh, critic of, uh, of right-wing media excess, you know, when they were sort of cheering uh, refugees drowning in the Mediterranean and so on. Uh, here, uh, guys talking about football on TV are also emerging as the most uh, trenchant social critics. Joe Brodie is setting sights a bit higher than Gary Lineker. He's tearing down the whole neoliber- neoliberal capitalist order in this interview uh, I would uh, I would check it out yeah
2: okay we'll have a read our time is just about up as you can hear from the music we'll be back next Sunday morning if you want to hear us broadcasting from our own studios every day during the week you can do it on secondcaptains.com Marion Finucane's up next thanks to Noel Roberts and Sound Mark Horgan and Simon Hick produced thanks Murph thanks Ken thank
3: you and thank you Ken thanks
2: very much for listening have a great Sunday Mm.
1: (sighs) second captain first captain whatever